would ask that you turn with me in your Bibles to our text this morning, which comes from the Gospel of Mark, as we'll be looking at chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. Hear with me then, brothers and sisters, the reading of God's Word. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups, and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do, thus far as the reading of God's word. The corrupted human nature in man is a common enemy to us all. And it is because of this enemy, which is the result of sin, that contradictions and deceit abound in the human heart. We are constantly telling ourselves we are better than we really are. We are convincing ourselves that we are okay when we're not. And what's worse is because so many are blind to the fact that this enemy exists, or so many miscalculate this enemy's power, that in fact what results is that they find themselves fallen under the dominion of this enemy. And so what we have then is a bunch of people walking around thinking that they are heaven-bound because they say they believe in God, because they attend worship service, because they make use of prayer, because they do things they think Christians ought to do. And yet, in reality, they contaminate and they corrupt everything that they say and do because what they have done is supplanted God with man in worship. And so that even the good they do is nothing but evil before the eyes of the Lord. You see, man is under the delusion that just because they do certain spiritual things, because they engage in certain Christian exercises, that God must just take it and accept it based upon the act without looking into the window of the heart. 
But brothers and sisters, let me tell you, God doesn't. In fact, He rejects that kind of worship. And we know this because this is what Israel's gripe was with God in Isaiah 58. In Isaiah 58, the Israelites are are fasting. And they're saying, we're fasting, but why are you hiding yourself from us, God? Right? We're worshiping you, and yet you're not blessing us. And what Isaiah says in verse 3 is this, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. See, they exchanged God's pleasure in worship for their own. They thought because they fasted, which was a good thing, that God was just to accept it and respond to them, even though they were living wickedly and their heart was far from the Lord. You see, this is the human corruption of true religion. Right? Man is capable of all sorts of perversions in religion when man is able to inject what we desire into the equation. Right? This is what Rome was guilty of, wasn't it? Right? Addition after addition to the worship of God over a period of time. But why was that? It was because they set themselves up as the greater authority over what constituted true faith and worship, even over and against the revealed Word of God who tells us what true and undefiled worship looks like. Right? A key factor in the Protestant Reformation wasn't just justification by faith alone. It was also reforming the worship of the church. It was about returning the worship of the church back to its ancient form, which was simplicity. Right? It was a, a concern for worship that was done in the Spirit and in truth. It was a concern for obedient worship, which accords with the principles and precepts that God has laid down for worship. It was a concern for internal, faith-filled, heart worship, which is the only true way that we can worship God. It was a concern for offering up spiritual sacrifices to our God that pleased Him, not that pleased man. It was a stripping away of the pomp and the circumstance that bogged worship down, which made it nothing but cold formalism and empty ritualism. And this is what the scribes and the Pharisees are guilty of in our text today. Right? Their human tradition has corrupted and perverted true religion. And so today we want to look at what human corruption of true religion really does. And so we're going to do that under three points this morning. And so the first point is that it obscures the gospel. It obscures the gospel. The second point is that it results in hypocritical worship. It results in hypocritical worship. And the third point is that it contradicts God's commandments. It contradicts God's commandments. So point one, it obscures the gospel. Now from the very beginning, we see that these scribes and Pharisees have it out for Jesus. right? They, they travel all the way from Jerusalem in order they, that they might spy out Jesus, in order that they might find fault with Him, that they can levy a charge against Him. Now if you remember, we've said in the past that the, the Pharisees were a large group within Judaism who were the strictest in outward observance to the law and even the oral law, which was given in order that, that it might protect the written law of God. And then remember that the, the scribes were the students of the law. right? They were the experts in the law, the ones who knew the law the best, 
who studied it and who taught it. And so we have the scribes and the Pharisees traveling from the very center of Jewish orthodoxy, which was in that capital city of Jerusalem, and they're coming all the way some 90 miles to confront Jesus here in our text today. And yet, this isn't the first time that they've made this trip to confront Jesus, is it? If you remember from chapter 3, they came down from Jerusalem and said what? Right? They charged Jesus with casting out demons by the prince of demons. And now it appears that the scribes and the Pharisees have the opportunity that they were looking for as they traveled all this way, and that was to confront Jesus and the disciples, to catch them not practicing their commandments. In verse 2, we're told that they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled. And then we're told that that means that they were unwashed. Now, I want you to see that this little bit of clarification, this little bit of explanation that we're given, is one of the reasons why at the very outset of our study of the Gospel of Mark, I said that this Gospel was primarily written to a Gentile audience. right? Because if it was written to a, a primarily Jewish audience, he wouldn't have to explain what eating with defiled hands meant. Okay? They would have known perfectly well what that was. Now in verse 3, we're told that the Pharisees and all the Jews don't eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. In verse 4, we're told that even when they come home from the marketplace, that they wash up. And they observe many traditions like this. Washing pots, washing cups, copper vessels, dining couches. And so the obvious question they have is that since only sinners, only the unclean eat with defiled hands, why was it that Jesus and the disciples were not holding to the tradition of the elders? Now for many of the children who are here today, when you read this text, when you hear it, you might say, well, is this why... My mom and dad yell at me to wash my hands when I come in from the house or before I eat dinner. And no, it's not. Your parents tell you to wash your hands for sanitary reasons. They want you to have good hygiene. But this is not what all the fuss is about with the scribes and the Pharisees. They are totally and completely concerned with ceremonial cleanness. They don't care about physical dirtiness. It was about being ceremonially unclean. Because not only did they have to wash their hands, we're told, they had to wash their hands properly. Right? Just a, a regular, a regular old hand washing wasn't enough for these Jews. Right? They had to do it exact and under a specific manner according to the law. And yet this law that they are condemning the disciples for is not a part of God's law. It's a part of their law handed down from generation to generation. In fact, it's these laws that were finally collected into a book around the 3rd century A.D. called the Mishnah. And in this book, about one-fourth, about a quarter of the book, is concerned with just purity laws. This is because they were so concerned about being contaminated by sinners. This is why you can understand why they would say that when you come home from the marketplace, you got to wash up because maybe a, a Gentile sinner bumped into you. Or maybe you touched something that a Gentile touched. And so you wanted to make sure to go home and kind of decontaminate yourself. So that your home, that your food, that your clothing, that your furniture would not become defiled. But herein lies the problem. Right? They thought that through these ceremonial observances, they were being made clean. They thought through following these rituals, they would be saved. But everything they were doing 
demonstrated that they denied the gospel. And not only that, what they were doing obscured the gospel for everybody else. Because it made the people so consumed with doing everything in fine detail. Because if you didn't, well then it wouldn't even count. Right? If you didn't wash your hands properly, specifically, exactly according to the law, then you were still defiled. All this did was take the eyes of these people off of where it should have been and what the one thing that they needed, and that was Christ and the Gospel. And I think, brothers and sisters, that many of us, to one degree or another, in some form, have experienced this. Perhaps it was in a past church that you were in. Perhaps a, a, a church you've been to before was, was a, about entertainment. right? It was all about performance and theatrics. It was about singers and musicians or showcasing the talents of the minister. Perhaps you come from a Roman Catholic background. And when you walked into church, before you sat in your pew, you genuflected. You made the sign of the cross many times. You stood up and sat down and knelt and stood up and sat down and knelt. By doing all these things that you did just because it was ceremony, not because it had anything to do with godliness. And the whole time, all it did was distract you from the one thing they should have been putting before your eyes, and that was Christ in the Gospel. Perhaps others of us have come from churches where the leaders were so concerned with outward appearance and with following man's traditions if you wanted to be considered truly godly. Right? And so they were concerned about what people wore in church. And usually when we talk about what people wear in church, we're talking about what women wear in church. Right? A woman better not think about coming with a lick of makeup on if she doesn't want to be looked down upon. A woman better not think about coming in slacks. Right? In these type of congregations, they look down, they frown upon anyone who would dare dance at a wedding or go to the theater to watch a secular movie. But you see, all this does is turn people's attention away from what truly matters and makes the Christian religion one of do's and don'ts. Right? It turns Christianity from a, a message of God's grace found in Jesus Christ to a message of works righteousness and maintaining laws. You see, brothers and sisters, we have to understand this, that as soon as you start adding things to Scripture, you are immediately taking things away from Scripture and denying its sufficiency. Entertainment in church genuflecting, making the sign of the cross, whether you wear makeup or not, has nothing to do with righteousness in the kingdom of God. And it's the kingdom of God that we are to be seeking. And so why is it that we allow these things to sidetrack us and to obscure the gospel for us? Brothers and sisters, I have certain traditions that I like. And I personally hold to things that I think all of you would be better if you hold on to <laughs> But guess what? I'm not allowed to come up here and bind your conscience to observe my traditions. Right? This is a time that we come together to worship the Lord, to exalt His name in worship and not advance my agenda. Right? This is a time to promote the Gospel. Right? To remember the good news to remind ourselves of those glad tidings that it brings to the repentant sinner. See, the Pharisees and the scribes were concerned with things that were not profitable spiritually for the people at all. But we are called by God to do the very opposite. Right? And we do that not by focusing on man-made traditions, 
but rather by focusing ourselves on the Word of God. Not by me coming up here and giving you lessons for how to live a better life, but rather for me just coming up here and giving you the words of eternal life. Proclaiming the Gospel. Giving you God's Word, which alone is able to make wise unto salvation. This, brothers and sisters, is what worship is about. And any time we make worship about anything other than that, it results in hypocritical worship. This takes us to our second point. Hypocrisy is what Jesus accuses these scribes and Pharisees of as they try to enforce their man-made tradition upon the people. And so look with me, please, starting in verse 6 at what Jesus says once again. And He said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as the doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. You see this quote here, brothers and sisters, is actually taken from Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13. In in Isaiah here, the Israelites are being rebuked for hypocrisy in worship. Right? They worship God with their lips. They worship God with their mouth. They worship God with their tongue. But their heart was devoid of true love of God. And so what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees and scribes today is the same is true of youth. The same is true of them this day. And in fact, this word, this word for hypocrites that Jesus uses actually reveals to us something more about the character of these men as well. Because this word, hypocrites, denotes an actor who is under or behind a mask. A hypocrite, one who is an actor, someone who is behind a mask. And so Jesus is saying that these men are trying to look before others as religious. Right? They're trying to look holy, like they know God, like they're in close fellowship with Him, like they have a zeal for His glory and it stems from a great love and affection they have for God when really it is nothing but show. It is nothing but show. The the real person they are, Jesus is saying, is the person behind the mask. You see, they are a character. They are simply playing a role for men. Everything they were doing wasn't for God. Everything they were doing was for man, for themselves. And how do we know that they were hypocrites? Well, it's because Jesus says they gave empty honor and taught empty doctrine. You see, brothers and sisters, the hypocrites put on a show for men, trying to convince them how much they love God. But that empty honor and that empty doctrine betray their performance. It was empty honor because it only came from their lips. Right? That which is external. Right? It did not come from their heart. And we know that any true worship must not only be external, but internal as well. Right? It was empty doctrine because they forsook God's words for man's. Right? And they took the words of men and treated them as if they were the words of God. And yet how foolish and how deadly that is to forsake God's word and God's honor for man's word and man's honor. They set aside the life-giving words for man's word. They were more concerned with honoring their elders and showing them love and respect than honoring God and showing Him love and respect. They cared more for their own will being done than for God's will being done. And they placed their own tradition above the Scriptures. 
Now, I want us to understand something. And that is that tradition is not bad. That tradition is not bad. But what is, and what we must realize, is that tradition is never equal to Scripture. Tradition can never replace Scripture. And and tradition, likewise, can never, obviously, conflict with Scripture. Because if it conflicts with Scripture, then we must abandon our tradition. But see, this is something that the Pharisees and the scribes were unwilling to do. But I want you also to see one other thing here, and that is that how we worship directly correlates with what we think about God. Right? How we worship directly correlates right, what we think about God. And so these scribes and Pharisees, they thought that God made them special. They thought that God was only concerned with His law and that it was through the observance of this law that they would be found righteous and that they would be saved by God. And their practice demonstrated that, didn't it? You see, but this is why they had to play the actor. Because no one is able to keep the law. This is why Christ had to come in order to fulfill the law that which we could not. And yet, because they were blinded by unbelief, they tried to put on this performance to convince men that they could perfectly, personally, perpetually obey the law when they knew they couldn't. That was because they didn't see themselves as sinners. But this is what we have to understand, that when we wake every morning, we have to remind ourselves that we are sinners. And yet, simultaneously, we need to remind ourselves that we are saints. This is what Luther says in his commentary to Romans chapter 7. He says this, The saints in being righteous are at the same time sinners. They are righteous because they believe in Christ whose righteousness covers them and is imputed to them. But they are sinners because they do not fulfill the law and are not without sinful desires. You see, brothers and sisters, knowing this, reminding ourselves of this will help to keep us honest in the Christian life. It will allow us to inwardly look to find where any hypocrisy still lies in us and to ask the Lord to give us the strength to, to rid ourselves of that hypocrisy. Right? Knowing that we have much to work on, yet we also always have to understand that none of this ever adds to the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to us. None of this adds to our salvation. Yet as saints who have had the image of Christ restored in us, we are to rid ourselves of anything that is antithetical to the Christ who is living inside of us. And that means putting off the old man and putting on that new man each day. You see, it's oftentimes when we forget about the law of God and focus solely upon His grace that a lot of times I think Christians start to backslide. They can fall into patterns of sin because they think, hey, where I sin, grace abounds. But then, on the other hand, when we only consider God's law, then you start living like the scribes and the Pharisees, don't you? Because you judge your own salvation status or you judge the salvation of others based on what they do or do not do. Brothers and sisters, we must maintain a a proper balance. We only come to that proper balance, that proper understanding through knowing who God is, what salvation is, what the will of God is for His church. Right? Whenever we lack right knowledge of God, improper worship is, going, is sure to result. Right? We see this all the time. Right? People who believe that 
that, that, that God is just their, their buddy up in the sky. Right? And their, their worship reflects that, doesn't it? Or those who believe that God doesn't care about His holiness. That He doesn't care about His obedience to His commands. And their worship reflects that, right? That God just allows them to do whatever they want in worship. It's about expressing ourselves in worship. And so I ask us here today, what does our worship say about what we believe about God? Well, it ought to say that we believe that God is the only authoritative voice in His worship. Right? It ought to say and demonstrate the great awe and reverence we have for God's name and God's glory. And yet, how do we exemplify this practically Lord's Day after Lord's Day? Well, it means coming here ready to offer up unto God your spiritual sacrifice to His pleasure and not your own. It means not coming here wearing a mask, not performing, not being an actor. It means not coming into church and leaving your heart at home. Don't come singing and smiling, thinking that God must accept your worship while all the while you live wickedly and your heart is far from Him. And yet at the same time, brothers and sisters, for those here who have trusted in Christ and believe the message of the Gospel, we likewise can know that at the same time, although the worship of the saints is imperfect, that God still accepts it on the basis of the work of Christ Jesus. That it's sincere prayers and singing that God desires. It's heartwarming affection that God wants from His saints and He accepts. Because to do anything else is is hypocritical worship. And hypocritical worship is the calling card of the unregenerate, not the regenerate. That's because the regenerate, the godly, are supposed to be worshiping according to the Word of God. While the ungodly worship, their worship contradicts the commandments in the Word of God. And this leads us then into our, our third and final point this morning. Please look with me, if you will, starting in verse 9. We read this, and he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. Right Here we have a prime example, brothers and sisters, of the human corruption of the true religion. Right, God has spoken to us. He has given us His word. He has given us His commandments. That which is our duty to Him and that which is our duty to our fellow man. And you would think that these Pharisees and scribes who are so zealous for God's law would have held to this commandment with specificity. Wouldn't you have? That they would have taught the exactness of the people that they had to follow this precisely. And yet what they did was they found a way around it. They found a way around it. You see, the money that they would have set aside for their parents in order to help them as their parents got older perhaps and needed help, they simply were able to to reallocate somewhere else just by declaring it Corbin or a gift. Right Now, all of a sudden, that money has become used only for sacred use. And once they have 
declared it Corbin, they were no longer permitted to change or go back on that vow. And so guess what? Their parents are kind of out of luck now. Now at first glance, for some, as you as people read this or hear this, they might say, well, this sounds like a really good thing. Like, isn't God supposed to be preeminent in our life? Isn't it God before our mother and father? Well, brothers and sisters, in desiring to set aside this money for God's use and not for their family, guess what they were doing? They were violating the very command that God has given to His people. They were teaching to break God's law in favor for their own law. And it wasn't just for this commandment that they did, but for many of God's commandments. This is why Jesus says at the end of verse 13, And many such things you do. You see, brothers and sisters, we must believe and live by this, that whatever God commands, we necessarily must obey and follow without question. And yet we also must understand that this is not the case with whatever man commands. Now as we read about the scribes and the Pharisees, as they try to make ways around God's law, I ask, where in our life do we do this exact same thing? Right? Do we try to find ways around the commandments of God in order to please ourselves? Is it in worship? Do you find excuses to get yourself out of coming to worship? Right? Do you find loopholes around planting yourself firmly in a church and concerning yourself with the people of God? Is it loopholes at work that you give yourself so that you don't have to give maximum effort to your employer? Is it a loophole in your relationships with friends or in your marriage that frees you from your duty to them? Is it loopholes that you find in filing your taxes and being honest? Because you say, well, the government takes enough of my money as it is. Is it loopholes in being able to free yourself to tell lies? I just tell white lies. Just as long as I don't tell big lies, it's not a big deal. But I want you to see, brothers and sisters, you can't serve Two masters you can't serve both God and man. You can't serve both yourself and God. Right? Eventually, one has to take precedence. And if you are balancing yourself on this razor-thin wire, guess what? Eventually, you will be overtaken by the flesh. And then you will find yourself acting and behaving contrary to the commandments of God, just as these scribes and Pharisees did. And so, I exhort all of you here, to guard your hearts. Watch over your hearts because we see the capability of the corrupted human heart. We see how prone it is to corrupt the worship of God. How prone it is to corrupt the Word of God. And So you do well to hold on tightly to God's Word, to hold on tightly to God's commandments and then test everything that's coming in, everything you hear, everything you think, everything you do by God's Word. The heart that is grounded in the love of God is the one who seeks what God wants at every turn. And what He wants is contained force in His Word. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You're not going to find it looking with inside yourself. And you're not going to find it in the traditions of men. Now as we draw to a close, I want to kind of go full circle, come back around to that first passage that I spoke about in our introduction, which is Isaiah 58. And I ask that you would turn in your Bibles there with me. Isaiah chapter 58. 
and look at verses 13 and 14. Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. This is what we read. Remember, this is after their false fasting and not being able to find God as He hid Himself from them. And this is how God responds. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see, brothers and sisters, God is always extending mercy and grace to us if we would just turn back to Him and repent of our sin. If we would stop corrupting ourselves and corrupting God's worship and stop seeking our own pleasure and simply seek the pleasure of the Lord in all things, in every aspect of our life. And so I say, let this text expose to us our own weaknesses. Let this text be a warning to you who worship God in vain or who wear a mask and play an actor whose heart is really far away from the Lord. But also, let all of God's saints here today, as you read this and as you hear this, find hope and take comfort in the fact that the salvation that God bestows upon sinners doesn't come through the cleansing of our hands with water, but rather it comes graciously by God through the shed blood of Christ on Calvary's cross. Who now, Jesus Christ, makes us fit for His worship because it is He who now gives us a clean hands and a clean heart. So I ask that you bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we confess so often we live as hypocrites. We thank You for Your Word that rebukes us and yet at the same time encourages us that as saints, uh, our sins have been forgiven and we have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit and that through Your Word and if we turn back to You, Father, that You will forgive us and that You will strengthen us as You extend mercy and grace to Your people. And so, Father, I ask that You would impress upon our hearts the truths of Your Word this day and that we would exercise ourselves in true godliness going forward this week. And so, Father, we come before You this day asking all these things. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.